Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. begins in verse 12. I just want you to look at that. It says, begins with saying, Beloved, of course he's talking to Christians when he uses a word like beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. He starts off with, I think, something that if you've lived more than a few years, you probably understand. Fiery trials are not unusual. Now, in this passage, he does, is very specifically, and really all of 1 Peter, he's very specifically talking to Christians who would be persecuted specifically for their faith. They said they believed in Christ, they put, they, they stand for God, and the world would come against them because of that. So that's one of the fiery trials that I think is in mind here. I think that's the, kind of on the, on the surface, that's the very, their immediate thing that you should see. But fiery trials can take all shapes and forms, can't they? And I believe that right now we are in a fiery trial of a sort. As a nation, as a globe, we are in a fiery trial. Some of you have your own personal versions of those fiery trials. may not be necessarily anybody persecuting you for your faith. It might be, but I don't think that's the only kind of fiery trial that we need to apply it to here. So while Peter definitely has persecution in mind, as we read through this, we're just going to see fiery trials that take the shape of any kind of difficulty, any kind of hard time, any kind of uh, uh, persecution to be sure, but also any kind of difficulty you might go through. But he goes and says in verse 12, it's not strange when you get these fiery trials happen. It's, it's, not, it's not unusual. Now, I want to be clear. I don't think Peter's saying that that's the way it has to be. I don't even think he's saying it's supposed to be that way. In fact, I would say that God didn't create the world to have fiery trials in it. You go to Genesis chapter 1, God made everything good. And my fiery trials ain't that good. So I don't think that's how God intended this world to be. But we know that sin entered into this world, and because this world is broken, this world is sinful, this world is fallen, because of that, it may not be the way it should be, but it is the way it is. It's the way it is, and the way it is is that we have fiery trials. So the question isn't, are we going to have them? The reality is they're probably going to come. He says it's not strange. Don't act like something strange has happened. Don't be surprised when these things happen. But we do... We need to pay attention to how we react to these fire trials. How are we going to respond to those trials? So it's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's a question of how you're going to handle it when it happens. That's the question in mind here. If you go to verse 13, he begins with that conjunction, but. It's intended to say this was happening, this is true, it's going in this direction, but I'm going to contrast that. I'm going to show you something different. It's, it's, it's intended to show there's, there's something that's going to change here. It's not strange that bad things are going to happen, that you're going to go through difficult times. That's not unusual. It's going to happen. Many of you have endured that already. Some of us are going through it now. If not now, we will soon. So it's not unusual, but there's something here that can change that circumstance, that change that situation. Look what he says in verse 13. But rejoice... We'll come back to that word rejoice, but look at what we, what's going to happen. But something's happening inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. He says there's something here that can change that circumstance. Yes, you're going through a hard time, but there's something that can change how you deal with that, how you react to that. What is that thing? 
Well, of course, it's the being partakers of Christ's suffering. But he uses an interesting word here, in as much. In as much. That, that, that should connote the idea that if this thing is true of you, in as much as it's true of you, the more, in fact, the more that it's true of you, in as much, as more that it's true of you, more that this thing represents who you are, the more transformative, the more change it produces in your life. What is the thing? Being partakers of Christ's suffering. Partakers. Y'all know what that word means, partakers? You can kind of see it in the word partaking, taking part in. You're participating in, partaking in. You get to be, you get to share in it. Somebody invites you over for supper, and you sit down at the table, you're going to partake in the supper. What does that mean? You're going to eat what they got to offer. You're going to have it for yourself. You're going to dig in. You're going to share in it. You're going to enjoy all the fellowship that flows from it. That's what partaking means. You get all of that. Now, what it doesn't mean, go back to that phrase again. It says there, but he says now all these fiery trials are going to happen, verse 12, verse 13, but you can rejoice in as much and as long as this is true of you, the more it's true of you, it's the more it's going to change things, that you're a partaker of Christ's suffering. What he is not saying, let's make sure we understand what he's not saying, what's saying that partakers of his suffering, that the more suffering we endure, the more we enjoy things or more we benefit from Christ. That's not what he's saying. In fact, can I go ahead and tell you that this has literally nothing to do with your suffering. You, you might be enduring a fiery trial, and you might be suffering in that fiery trial, but this partaking in Christ's suffering has nothing to do with your suffering. Christ did all the suffering. My suffering doesn't do anything. I, I could tell you, everybody that's listening to me right now, we could be hung on a cross to be, to be slaughtered, to, to be tortured, just like Jesus Christ was, and there would not be one drop of blood that would be added to our salvation because my death, my suffering does not accomplish anything. It is the suffering of Christ that is in view here. But he does say, what he's not saying is it's not our suffering, but he is saying the more that I share, I participate in, I take part in his suffering the more I benefit, and particularly when I'm enduring these fiery trials. So the more that we participate in all that's associated with Christ's suffering, the more that we enjoy the blessings. Are, are you with me so far? I hope you are. This is one of the difficult things about preaching to an empty room, well, empty except for three or four people here, is I can't get the reaction of, oh, are you with me or not? But I'm going to assume you are, and we're going to keep on going. But let's keep on going with this. So we get those blessings. So what are those blessings? Well, we've already been introduced to one of them in verse 13. We can rejoice. In the middle of suffering, we have joy. We can rejoice even though we are enduring a fiery trial, a difficult time, persecution, hardship, difficulties. We can do that rejoicing. Now, why are we rejoicing? It's not because we like pain. If you like pain, that is a different problem altogether. That is not what this passage is about. It's not because we like pain. It's because Jesus Christ's suffering provides for us something. Go back to verse 13 there. Look at what he says there. We can rejoice. Why? Because we're participating in his suffering. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Do you know that when Jesus died on the cross... And shed his blood. Yes, he saved you from your sin, paid the sin debt. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. 
But that wasn't all he did. He paid your sin debt, but he also secured for you a home in heaven, an inheritance. Peter says this in verse, chapter 1 and verse 4, where he calls it an incorruptible inheritance that's undefiled, that doesn't fade away. He says, you've got that because of what Jesus did. And it's the kind of inheritance that when you see it, look at what he says there in verse 13, when it shall be revealed, when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. He says that word exceeding joy, it's not only that you're, that you're going to have joy, you are, but it's going to be the kind of joy where you just kind of do a yippee kind of a joy. You get a little shout in you. You just go, yes, that's a, that's a wonderful thing. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of joy in your life, but if you ever have, just sometimes, even though you're not a shouting person, it'll come on your mouth, on your mouth because you just can't help it. It's exciting. That's the kind of thing that we've got. But again, that's something we have to look forward to. Because of Christ's suffering, we have the kind of joy that it's going to be internal joy. It's going to be amazing. It's going to give us a shout. But if you keep reading in verse 14, we know that we can be, it says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why? For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. So we've got this joy. Not only are we looking forward to what's happening in the future, we've got Jesus to look forward. We get to spend eternity with him. But he says here that we actually have a spirit-induced joy. As we're walking through life, we can actually enjoy happiness. I'm using the word in the Bible. We can actually enjoy not just joy, but literally happiness in our circumstances. We can. Why? Not because it's natural. Because some of the things that we're going to have to endure, the natural response to them is going to be pain, crying, hurt, suffering. But how are we going to be happy? Because we have his spirit resting on us. That's what he says there in verse 14. That's also known as, Galatians calls it this, walking in the spirit. That's what that means. He's got, his spirit is with you. He's walking in the spirit. And you know what happens when you're walking in the spirit? Galatians chapter 3 verse 22 says that the fruit of the spirit, what produces from the spirits being with you, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, mercy, meekness, temperance. We get all that kind of fruit that comes from that, and one of those things is just a spirit-induced joy. We get that kind of thing. But only, as he says in verse 14, if we are reproached for the name of Christ. And, and I think that we can use that as shorthand for what we've been saying of participating, being a partaker of his suffering. Kind of boil it down to you this way. What is the source of your joy in our suffering well heavens it's not the suffering that can't be the source of joy the circumstances aren't causes for joy what is the source of joy well the source of my joy ought to be the suffering of christ what do i mean by that well am i saved am i washed in the blood of the lamb am i sanctified have i have i laid aside the garments that are stained with sin Am I satisfied in Christ? Am I fully trusting in his grace this hour? In other words, is what I'm depending on for my happiness, my joy, is that what's happening right now or what Jesus did for me 2,000 years ago? Here's where I've got to level with y'all. I, I, I don't know if y'all ever, I don't know how y'all think about my preaching, but I have to be honest with you. Sometimes I, 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 can, I can get a hold of a concept and I can preach it because it's the feeling in my heart. But as I alluded to at the beginning, I know this is true because this is what the Bible says. 
But I have to tell you my experience, sometimes I can tell you it's because I'm not trusting in his grace this hour. My experience sometimes comes off differently. That in my difficulties, there's not joy there. Why is that? Why am, I, why am I not experiencing joy in the difficulty? Because my joy is not coming from the Lord. My joy is coming from my difficulty. My joy is coming from my surroundings. And I'm only having joy because my surroundings are right. You see what I'm saying? And that's a problem. The Bible is telling me that if you want real Christ-centered, spirit-produced joy, it cannot be resting in anything else but the sufferings of Jesus Christ. That's what the essence of Christianity is, resting in his finished work. Not just as a concept, but as a reality when you're in the middle of that circumstance. Again, I want to reiterate, I'm preaching this because it's true. Not necessarily because Matthew Tilly feels it all the time, but it is true because this is what Bible, the Bible tells us. That's what really partaking in his suffering looks like. Now, when you identify with his suffering, you are going to suffer persecution. I told you that was the, the root, the kind of the heart of this passage. That's really what Peter's getting at. And you'll see this if you go to verse 14. He says, if you be reproached for the name of Christ. And that word reproached, if, if you are defamed, uh, and some of y'all had this happen, people attack you verbally. They say things either to you or about you that, whether true or not, they are mean-spirited and they're hurtful and they're, they're directed at you. They, they're taunting you. They, they upset your apple cart. They, and it could be anything from just simply, and this persecution could be anything from simply some verbal abuse, said something you don't like, to maybe even physical. They come after you physically, and they would, the, the Christians at, at, in the early church, they would definitely suffer that, and even some Christians around the world today. But the point is that this suffering of persecution, it stirs up. And whatever, what happens is it, it stirs you up. It, it, if somebody were to do this idea of reproach to any of y'all, it would stir you up on the inside. I know y'all have been that way before. I know I've been that way before. You get a little stirred. You know what I'm talking about. Stirred up on the inside. You just want to knock somebody in the face. That's the way you feel. That's, that's the way you feel. That's, it makes you stirred up on the inside. That's what reproach is. But he says, if you're reproached by the, in the, for the name of Christ, if you're, if you're partaking in his suffering as you're being reproached, go down, skip there. It's already told you about what the Spirit of God resting on you means. Then he goes on there, he says, but on their part, talking about the one that is attacking you, on their part, he, God, is evil spoken of. He's saying here that when you are, when you are stirred up on the inside, it brings out the real you, what you really feel. And he says, these people who are attacking you, they're not attacking you, not really. They're ultimately speaking evil of God. They're blaspheming God. They're showing who their real God is. They're showing who they really worship, and it's not the God of the universe. But on the other hand, if you are one who is partaking in Christ's suffering, if you are being reproached for Christ's name, look what he says there after that. He says, on their part, he's evil spoken of, but on your part, he's glorified. If you are partaking of his, of his suffering, you're going to glorify him. Now, now, now listen here. How do you know which one you are? Are you a rejecter of God or are you a partaker of God? Well, I think he kind of gives us a clue here in verse 15 where he says, he's talking to Christians, he says, I don't want this to be the way you suffer. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's manners. You see, what happens is when you are rejecting the God of the universe, when you are not partaking of suffering of Christ, what you want to do is you want to take out your pain and your suffering on other people. 
You want to hurt other people. You want to take things that are not yours. You want to do evil. You want to mess in other folks' business. That's what he's talking about there in verse 15. But on the other hand, if you are a, not a rejecter of God, but a partaker of Christ's suffering, look what he says in verse 16. If any man suffers a Christian, meaning you are a follower of Christ, you are a partaker of his suffering, let him not be ashamed. When that happens, you don't need to hang your head in defeat, but instead, look what he says there, don't be ashamed, but let him glorify God on his behalf. Instead, when somebody comes after you and you're stirred up on the inside, the Christian response, in other words, is not to ball up your fist and pop them in the eye even though they deserve it. That is not the Christian response. You know what the Christian response is according to this passage? Hallelujah, praise the Lord. He is a good God because I am what I am because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's the Christian response. Again, I have to tell you, just for full transparency, I'm not feeling that one. I know it's true. It's what the Bible said, and I will not, dis I will not go against the Scripture, but I can tell you my heart, my wicked, evil heart, doesn't go with that one. My heart wants to go with the pop him in the eye. That's what I want to do. But the reality is if I am a Christian, if I am partaking of his suffering, my response is not to hang my head in defeat, not to stir up and be angry, not to hurt other people, not to lash out, but to lift my hands in praise. But that's only going to happen if, as he says in verse 15, excuse me, in verse 16, if you are reproached for the name of Christ. Verse 16, if any man suffer as a Christian question is what's your response to your suffering is it worship that, that, that that's boggles my mind i'm telling you as i've studied this for the last about three weeks now i've looked over this for three weeks for the last three weeks that has boggled my mind how can worship be produced out of my suffering this is how it's work, how it works when you suffer what is your response you know what most of our response is it's to lash out i'm hurting so i'm gonna hurt everybody around me I'm hurting, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, go do some sin. By the way, that's where most of our sin comes from. When we're in those, those times of difficulties, when we're hurting the most, when we're in our lowest point, that's when the devil can tempt us the most, and that's when we trip up because we are in that, in that tough spot and we do things we know we ought not do. That is not partaking in his suffering. Because if we are truly suffering as a Christian, instead of lashing out, we'll lift up our hands in praise to the Lord. Instead of being driven to sin, we are going to be driven to our knees and saying, thank you, Lord, for allowing me to be part of your perfect plan. Lord, please help me. Don't, don't miss that. I don't think we have to stop asking God for help in the middle of our circumstances. In fact, that's what we ought to be doing. But there ought to be a measure of praise and worship there in the middle of that. Because actually, if you fully partake of his suffering, you are going to worship in spite of, and I would even go so far as to say, because of your circumstances. Here's what I think is really happening. When everything's going great, we got our jobs and our bank accounts are fat, and we're pretty sure about the future, although we never really know the future, but we think we know the future. We feel good about everything. We can easily go through the rituals of Christian worship, we can fill church pews. We can sing to the top of our lungs. We can say, amen, preacher. We can do all of those things that we would equate with worship. But then let the bottom fall out. What happens then? What happens then? Some people, certainly, I know, I've been there myself. Sometimes it'll draw you to God. But some people, it drives them away from God. They do the opposite of that. 
So who are you worshiping? And I can tell you who you're worshiping when you worship in the deepest of your despair. Who are you worshiping? It shows up then. If you are one who lashes out, you aren't worshiping God. You are worshiping your circumstances. You are worshiping the good times. You are worshiping the economic success. You are worshiping that. But if instead, when you're in those difficult circumstances, as hard as they are, as heavy as the burden is, you will praise the Lord's name and you will cry out to him and say, Lord, it's too much, I can't handle it, but you're still good. If you can do that, that's partaking in his suffering. That's what that looks like, even in your difficult circumstances, especially in your difficult circumstances. But see, that joy that's provided to us by the Holy Spirit, that worship that is enabled by participating in his suffering, it's only possible because judgment has already happened to us. See what he says in verse 17, right here in verse 17. He says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And part of what he's saying there is one one thing we need to take from this, that if God's going to judge anybody, he's going to judge his people first. There's a little bit of that. Just like if I'm going to discipline any children in this church you better believe I'm going to start at the Tilly household. I'm not going to start with yours. I hope y'all are doing that. I'm doing mine. You see, that's how the Lord works. He works the same way. There's a little bit of that that's going on here. But I want you to understand, if you're a Christian, and I believe on a Wednesday night, I know that I can't tell who all's looking here, but I would imagine just by normal course, most of the people that are here are members of McConnell Road Baptist Church. And if you're not a member, you're a visitor that, that identifies as a Christian. And if that's the case, if you're truly a Christian then I want you to know that the worst thing in the world happened to you 2,000 years ago. Your sin was exposed before an almighty God. He saw you for what you were. You couldn't hide a thing from him. And not only did he understand it and see it and know what it was, he actually poured out the wrath against your sin that your sin deserved. You are under judgment and it's been done. 2,000 years ago, in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, as he hung on an old rugged cross, your judgment has been meted out, and Jesus has taken every bit of it. Now, I want you to think about this. If that's true, I believe it is, by the way, if that's true that your judgment has been meted out, and Jesus has taken the brunt of every bit of it, and then some, if that's the truth, look at what he says in verse 17. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? <laughs> if it took the Son of God to save my soul, what is it going to mean for that man or that woman who has never trusted in Christ, who needed Jesus himself to die for them, what does it mean for them that they've never accepted him? Where do they stand? They're standing there not participating in the sufferings of God. They're standing there not able to enjoy that. What does that mean for them? That means they're going to enter into the throne room of the God of the universe with their righteousness. And the Bible tells me their righteousness is nothing better than filthy rags that will be rejected soundly. In fact, not only rejected, but it will be insulting to the God of the universe. And he will do what he is right and just to do, and he will cast them into the lake of fire for eternity and forever and ever and ever for eternal judgment and punishment. That's why he does that. He even goes on to say in verse 18, and if the righteous scarcely be saved. I think some of us... uh, 
some of us Baptists, we kind of get a little high on ourselves sometimes. But did you know that the best of us, that, that little old lady that you can imagine in your mind, that you think that is the best Christian I ever imagined, did you know that even with the blood of Jesus Christ, she is scarcely saved? Do you know why? Because we were so depraved, so dark, so full of sin. My joy and my worship is not based on what I have done. It is based solely on what Jesus did, his grace. It was so, I needed that grace because I, without it, I was, I was destitute. With it, I'm barely acceptable. <laughs> now, you understand, I'm being exaggerating. We know that Christ is enough, he is sufficient. But I'm trying to get you to see what the Bible is saying, that the righteous are scarcely, scarcely saved. It was with difficulty. It's barely. We're all, it's only by the grace of God that we're saved. Only by the grace of God. And if that's true, what does he say in verse 18? Where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? If that's true of us, what of those people who do not participate in the sufferings of Christ? They're handling their own sin in their own way. They're taking the burden of themselves. They are doing the, 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 the practical equivalent of walking up Calvary's hill with their own cross ready to be crucified for their own sins. What in the world is that going to look like? Oh my goodness, they'll never pay for it. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what of them? They're doomed. I'll go ahead and say it the way the Bible says it. They are damned for eternity. They are. And what that ought to inspire of us, this is what, what Peter's saying in verses 17 and 18. He sets up verse 19. Are you, are you there? Are you following along? What's that first word? Wherefore? Wherefore? It's a very interesting word in the Bible. You've probably heard this before, but it's often pointing back to what was just said. He's saying, <laughs> you barely got saved except for the grace of God. And if you hadn't had Jesus, you would be in torment for eternity. So if that's true, wherefore, because of that, then, look what he says, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him and well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Because we have the sufferings of Christ to look back to, it ought to inspire in us a life of faith. If you're a Christian tonight, what that means, I want you to think about this for a minute, what that means is you are trusting your eternal soul to him. You are looking back to the cross and saying what Jesus did on the cross is going to provide me entrance into the throne room, into the glories of God for eternity. You're trusting your ever-living soul to the cross. If you are a Christian, you are trusting what Jesus' blood stands for, for your justification. I don't know what all y'all done, but I know what Matthew Tilly's done. And what Matthew Tilly's done does not deserve to even God to even hear my call, much less answer my call. I can tell you that. And some of y'all, you, you know your own sin, you know where you are. But I can tell you right now, and I'm trusting in this, that because of the sufferings of Jesus Christ, I can stand here, not perfect, I'm not suggesting that, but in the eyes of God, I am justified. 
My sins are wiped away. As Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is nothing, not just a little bit less condemnation. There is no condemnation to me anymore. It's no more. And he says, it's now, now no condemnation. It's not some point in the future. Right now, I am not under condemnation. I'm trusting in that. Now, do you understand what you are believing? You are truly, if you truly believe it, this is one thing I will just tell you all point blank, I wish I could look you in the eye and tell you, but I wonder about some of y'all. Do you really believe what I just said? Because if you really did, then this next thing should follow without a doubt. If you can trust God with your soul, if you can trust him with your justification, you can surely trust him fully for the outcome of your fiery trial. He is a faithful creator. It's what he says there. God is faithful. You can trust him. He has been faithful time and again. He will not let you down. But that's only going to happen for you. You can only trust him fully. That kind of faith doesn't come because you try hard enough. That kind of faith doesn't come because you want more. It doesn't come because you, because you say certain things. It doesn't come because you pretend it or act like it. You can't fake this. This kind of faith only comes when you are partaking, when you are participating in the sufferings of Christ. Who do you trust with your soul, your eternal destiny, and your current situation? Who are you trusting? Unfortunately, we have to answer that honestly most of the time. Honestly, who I'm trusting my current situation? My arms, my brains, my hands, my ability to get on the internet and Google the answer. Go on YouTube and watch the video to fix it or whatever. I, that's what I'm trusting most time. I, I just, I'm being transparent with you. That's where I am. I imagine that many of you are the same place. When we're in the middle of this pandemic that we're in now and all the ripple effects that come off of this, when we think about the challenges, and I'm telling you my own, where, where, it's, where, it's, where my mind can get dark and I don't know what to do about what's going on, and how I can fix the problem, and I'm sitting in my, my study, and I'm looking at myself and saying, how do I fix this? And the answer is not, how does I fix this? Because I can't. You can't fix it either. Your only hope is to trust the one who saved your soul. Your only hope is to trust the one who is going to give you entrance to heaven. And if he's going to do that, and he can handle that, he can handle a pandemic, he can handle unemployment, he can handle cancer, he can handle whatever you've got facing you. He can handle it. You might not be able to. Let's be honest, we can't. We can't. It's too much. God is too much. But I'm going to trust you, Lord, because I've got faith that you know what you're doing. You are a faithful creator. That's what fully participating in his suffering looks like. Nobody wants to suffer. But we'd be foolish to be surprised that it happens. I think some of us, especially Americans in 2020, we get a little shocked. Oh my goodness, can you believe this is happening? I know I say that. But we'd be stupid. I'm first in line at the stupid line. We'd be stupid to suggest that it can't happen and be surprised that it does. But what's going to make the difference is whether or not we participate in, we partake in the sufferings of our Savior. Find his sufferings to be our source of joy. 
not our good times, our good things. Don't find that happiness in that. It's easy. I mean, we're, we're like little children on that. Give me, a, give me a nice toy, give me a shiny object, and I'm happy for a few minutes. That's not where real happiness comes from, not where real joy comes from. It comes from looking at Christ's suffering and recognizing all the benefits that he secured on the cross are mine. What's the source of my worship? It's not a good worship band, praise worship, good preacher who knows how to hit the high notes and hit the low points and say and exegete the passage just right. That's not worship. That's not where real worship comes from. I mean, I'm not saying that those things are bad. Don't get me wrong. Those are great when you can get them. That's not the, that can't be the source of our worship. The source of your worship has got to be when you're jostled, when the times get rough, when the seas get stormy. Instead of lashing out, you lift your hands in praise. God, you're the one that I'm, I'm looking to. You're the one that I'm trusting. What's the source of your faith? Where's that coming from? Because you're such a faithful person? Because you're so strong? Because you say all the right Bible verses? No. Because the same person that you trusted to save your miserable soul is the same person that you've got to trust in the present for the right now. In the same way that I can't explain, I mean, yes, I can give you the theological discussion about salvation and uh, justification and regeneration and glorification and sanctification. We can talk about that nine ways to Sunday till we're blue in the face. But let me tell you, Matthew Tilly, at least, maybe some of y'all can, I'll invite you up if you want to, but I can't explain how a man gets saved, why that happens, other than just trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I don't know the ins and outs of that. Be above me. My God is bigger than I am. He does things that I can never explain. But I can tell you that the simple faith of a child is all it takes to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he'll save a man. He does. I know that because I was a little child when I was saved. I can tell you, and if I ain't saved, then ain't nobody saved. I can tell you that right now. Not because I'm so good, but because there's only one way to do it, and I did it. Amen. Go to Jesus. And I did that as a little child, not because I understood all the theology, but because I was trusting in Jesus. And that same kind of simple, childlike faith is what we've got to have and say, Lord, you saved me. You're going to take me to heaven one day. And while I'm here, I'm just going to have to hold on to you. I don't understand it. And it hurts sometimes. It confuses sometimes. But I know that you know what you're doing because you are the faithful creator. Encouraging you now, and I'm closing. I'm going to pray, and then we'll take a few minutes to go over our prayer list. But I want to encourage you now to partake of his sufferings. Enjoy the blessings now that Christ secured for us on the cross. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I need you to take my ramblings and make them useful to people that have heard them. I pray that you drive them into the arms of Jesus. Thinking about Brother Junior who's hurting right now. I know he's in pain. That's suffering, Lord, real suffering. Doesn't make sense in this world, but man, does it hurt. I pray that you'll remind him that he needs his Savior, that his Savior died for him, and that he is what he is because of the grace of God. 
pray for Sister Wendy as she's struggling with her cancer. And I, I, she hasn't really told me, but I just imagine that got to get her mind down, got to hurt her, got to drag it on, and just you want an answer, you want it fixed, and it's not. She's trusting you, Lord. I've heard her. She's trusting you. But I know it's discouraging. God, you're going to have to. You're going to have to drive her to the arms of Jesus. Those in our church who have businesses that are struggling, need a work, have bills that they're worried about, who have not sure about the future of their health. Some of them not even, I'm sure there may even be some that are not sure if they're going to have work tomorrow or if they're going to have a, uh, food tomorrow. The lights can stay on. Lord, th th that's real suffering. And you're going to have to drive these people to the arms of Jesus. You're going to have to provide. We're going to have to, you're just going to have to do it. Pray, pray God that you'll help them to participate in the suffering of our Lord. Help me to do that. Help me to be the example to this flock of what that should look like. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.